Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Rafa Davin, an aeromechanical engineer who spends his days solving logistical problems at offshore wind farms. He spends his evenings playing and designing games like Connecting Flights, an airline management board game that's currently on Kickstarter. Rafa, welcome to The Binge. How are you doing? Hi, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Oh, it is absolutely amazing to have you on this uh, podcast. Uh, as soon as I saw this game, it was an instant back for me. And, uh, and then I reached out to you right away saying, we got to get you on the podcast. I want to talk about this game. This game looks so frigging cool. But before we get there, I think what's even crazier is uh, <laughs> the background you have coming into this, uh, this industry. So you, you grew up in Poland, I guess, right? That's correct. Yeah. And, and uh, did you play a lot of board games growing up? I played what was available to me at the time. So that's kind of just the, the classics, like, first of all, chess, Monopoly. Um, yeah. I mean, also card games as well. Um, and then I slowly transitioned into video games as well. Okay. So I particularly enjoyed games that you can kind of build up stuff from scratch, like tycoon games, civilization, things like that. And then, yeah, over the, as, as kind of the, the board game industry became, grew and became more popular, and more, more and more games were hitting the market. I kind of got introduced to, to the kind of more modern games and started playing those and yeah, still, still enjoying them. Now that industry has actually become pretty robust in, uh, in Poland as well. Like I noticed yeah. the, uh, the podcast, we've got a lot of listeners from Poland previous campaigns I've done backers from Poland. So would you say that it's more as developed, more developed or, or less developed than you're seeing in areas like say the UK or even Germany? I would say it's about the same level. I think mm. uh, even looking at the Kickstarter campaign just now, we, we, we have backers from all over Europe. We have yeah, like 20 yeah. plus backers from like five or six or seven different countries in the EU alone and even more from across the world. That's crazy. And then, so you left Poland and, uh, and moved to Scotland, right? That's for correct. school. Yeah. yeah so for school. No, why, why Scotland? Uh, like you have all the universities you go to, why did you choose Scotland? Um, well, I guess I, I already spoke English at the time, so that made it a little easier. Um, and then, yeah, it's, it's just the universities here are free as well. Um, uh. So that, that was good. Um, yeah, I, I guess it's just a beautiful country with, uh, you know, lots of interesting things to do and very work, welcoming people. And what got you into uh, aeromechanical engineering? Like, what, like that seems like not only a, a really cool field to, to study, um, but it's not a typical field, right? Usually there's something that would influence you to kind of go in that direction. What, what were your influences? I just always... Uh, was it was interested in like aviation planes i enjoyed traveling and so i kind of just wanted to be a part of that industry and yeah always had like a, an interest in, in in planes and engineering as well uh, so that's the kind of main reason why i went for that and did you have any kind of exposure growing up at all to like did, did you know anybody that worked near an airline or do you have exposure to planes outside of just studying or is it just purely like the studying and, and then got into the industry well, no, just, I just, my exposure was kind of just going 
to the airport as well, not not to yeah. fly, but just to watch the kind of planes taking off. That was a, a couple of times with my uncle, but not nothing really, not too much beyond that. No, yeah, it's cool. It kind of reminds me of uh, here in uh, in Canada. A lot of uh, people growing up. There's a spot near the airport. Yeah, where you pull your car up, lay down the hood, and I mean, it, it feels like the plane. You can almost reach up and touch it. It's so close, and it's yeah. uh, it's such an amazing amazing experience. And and the engineering that allows something so large uh, to to you know go in the air and, and fly around the world it's uh, it truly is a modern uh, marvel. So yeah. what uh, what led you then into uh, wind farm? So you're in the wind farm industry now, I guess, eh? I am now, yeah, um, yeah. It's it's just really that after I graduated, uh, a couple of opportunities came up, and one of them was uh, to basically uh, do some further studies and uh, basically solve this problems that offshore wind farms are facing and uh, a kind of transition from this industry that's you know a big contributor to you know co2 emissions mm -hmm. to like an industry where you're actually trying to take away some of those emissions um, and yeah I, I just kind of uh, jumped on that opportunity and uh, it's still engineering it's no longer planes and I'm kind of looking back uh, looking back I I'm kind of glad I, I went that way because you know what's happening with the aviation industry now with the pandemic it's it's really quite challenging for many yeah. people many people to to find jobs at this time so so now yeah like you say i'm i'm working with uh, uh, for a company that does software for offshore wind farms and we're basically trying to um, make it easier to kind of run offshore wind farms and and do all the planning and and all, all these kind of things what are some of the synergies, like some of the learnings you take from like the airline industry over to the offshore? Is it because you have these giant propellers or is there, exactly, is there elements? Yeah, or, yeah. yeah, you still yeah, you still have to know aerodynamics uh, to, to work with uh, with turbines, definitely. That's amazing. And then in the in the evenings, <laughs> I guess you decided that you're going to get into uh, board game design. Now, is this something you've been working, like have you been doing board game design for, for a while or is this rather recent or how did you get into board game design? Yeah, I mean, as a kid, I would come up with really, really basic games, like maybe yeah. just ro roll a dice and then roll a dice again and multiply the numbers and then subtract and add. And so really, really basic stuff like that. But then I just kind of saw, as I was kind of playing all these cool different board games, board games and, you know, getting into the field, I just realized that there are some gaps in the market. And like I said, the, the first gap is that there's not that many airline games where at mm. least to compare to like for example other industries like there's loads of train games and yeah and it's like trading in the mediterranean seems to be like a big theme uh, but like to me airlines is exciting and i didn't really see that many games that i could just go off and purchase off the shelf so that was one of the drivers uh, just to start uh, the, the board game design process and and the second is is kind of like these uh, problems i'm solving on a day-to-day -day basis it's like uh, one might call that like a traveling salesman problem when you're trying to find like the shortest uh, path between a set of different points these kind of problems to me they are interesting but you don't really see that problem in so many board games and i just thought that comparing uh, like sort of uh, bringing together, you know, the, the, the interesting problem of like trying to solve this logistical puzzle and bringing together that with the, the, the airline theme. I thought that was kind of something that personally 
I would enjoy playing. And I know that there is lots of people who are really into airlines and yeah. some people who are really into puzzles. So that's like my, I knew that these were two big potential markets for, for this game. So I just decided to, to go ahead and, and try and make something that works. Now, when you decided to make this game, was it always, it was the initial thought just to make the game or was the thought process always, was Kickstarter kind of always in, 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 in your mindset there? No, the first step was just to make something that's playable, ha have a go at it, see if, uh, you know, playing with my family, if they enjoy it, if compare it to the, the games I played previously, is it, you know, is it much worse or is it, you know, almost or on par? And, and as, as I kind of designed it, uh, the first time I properly played it with a, with a bunch of people, I just felt like, you know, I'm onto something because it's, it's you know, that kind of feeling when you, you, you sit down at the table and you start playing and, yeah. and you kind of, you keep playing. And by the time you kind of realize what time it is, it's like three hours have passed and, you know, you've enjoyed yourself the whole time. And, and, you know, after that play test, I just thought, you know, I, I think I might be onto something here. Let's kind of see how far I can take this. And so obviously there's some synergy here with your background uh, in the airline industry and studying airlines and, uh, and bring this game to fruition. I think you're right. I think that's what attracted me to this game was that I hadn't really seen anything quite like it, um, which was an instant back for me. I backed on day one. It was, it was absolutely a no brainer. Uh, I don't even think I made it to the end of the, uh, the pledge page. I just started scrolling. I'm like, yep, I'm in. It's pretty straightforward. I mean, kudos to you. We'll, we'll show this page in a second, but one thing that really struck me about this game was that um, you're able to uh, very, very quickly uh, give the general concept of the game. And I think that's a miss for a lot of people who create games, whether they're simple games or, or complicated games. Um, you know, often people will not be able to do that kind of 30 second pitch to say, okay, what, what is, what's the essence yeah. of this game? And um, often I'll see a game I'm interested in. Uh, I'm not going to mention the name of it, but one happened recently where the, the image, I was like, wow, and I jumped in right away. I'm like, okay. And I started reading and reading and reading. And I'm like, what is this game about? So I went to watch a, a playthrough video and then the playthrough video was going on. And like, I was like seven minutes into this playthrough yeah. video. And I'm like, this is way, way too complicated. Not a chance I'm going to be able to pull this out and get my kids or my family or my friends to play this at the table. It's just, this is, yeah. this is not a simple concept. So I, I end up not back in that game. Your game on the flip side was very, very uh, quick and, and easy to kind of understand the concept. Although there's still obviously a lot of rules and stuff I'm going to yeah. learn when I get my copy, which I'm excited to get. But this essence of kind of building these connect connecting flights and you know rearranging them to uh, make it more efficient and stuff like that, I thought yep. was really interesting and really compelling. Um, so what uh, now did you uh, reach out to a lot of people? Did you have some consultants that helped you or like this is your first game? So for someone their first game, this is a pretty impressive, um, outcome you've right now you've, you're at 85,000 in Canadian dollars, which always sounds larger. So I like to use that number, uh, your backers, 1149 backers still got 17 days to go. This thing in Canadian dollars for sure is going to go over hundred thousand, probably hit 120, maybe 140. You never know. Sometimes these things just uh, run away and you know, the sky's the limit pun intended. So, um, you know, how did you come into this naked? So you, you, you had an idea on how to design uh, based on some things, gaps you saw in the marketplace, but Kickstarter is another beast altogether. How did you go about that process of deciding how you're going to actually make the game and, and then promote it? When it comes to the Kickstarter design page, I had like for the past year, I just had a routine when 
every weekend I would just go on the Kickstarter page and literally browse all of the games that kind of looked like either they were going to fund and do well yeah, or the games that were kind of in the same space. So kind of like Euro games, maybe kind of games, you know, it's not like RPGs or whatever, but kind of more in that space. And I would just basically take, you know, a couple of hours every weekend just to browse through all the games and pick up, pick out like things that I do like, pick out the campaigns that, you know, explain the game really well. Um, you know, always kind of look at the the order of things. What should come first? Should it be the pledge levels? Should it be the stretch goals? And, and just kind of also uh, quite often people actually can like uh, share that sort of the pre-campaign uh, page yeah and, and quite often you see other people have the ability to comment on that page mm. and also that's quite useful because i was just kind of clicking on people who were looking for feedback and i was reading the feedback of other people uh who you know the, the ones who were giving giving the feedback to them and and i always found that really useful because a lot of the feedback just kind of it's it's really universal it applies to most games uh, and and so yeah, that kind of process for over the, the course of the year, um, I just kind of had a, a had a feeling at like what sells and what doesn't because, you know, you, you see you see those campaigns uh, and you see that one oh that one's got like a hundred thousand dollars and you, you can over the time you kind of build up a picture of what works and what doesn't and I think that really helped. So just having this sort of awareness of the Kickstarter market, having backed a few games or uh, on Kickstarter, you know being through the whole process and understanding how it works, uh, seeing that kind of Kickstarter from the other side as a backer, uh, that really helps you kind of understand uh, how it all works. Oh, for sure. Yeah, your research is key, right? You got to do your research yeah. and you got to, uh, you know, see what's working with other people and quite frankly, what's not working, right? I think yeah. those are key. Let's jump into the page. I'm going to share the screen. And uh, if you don't mind, can you walk us through um how to play this game so explain basically how this how you play this game sure so in connecting flights you manage an airline and at least in the competitive mode the aim is to become the most profitable airline uh, so to do that you will purchase cards which are planes passengers and airports and you string those cards together making connections and flights and each flight will give you a certain amount of income and if you want to win the game, you have to make the highest income in the last round of the game. So the game lasts 10 rounds and every round there will be an event. So that's, that's something that happens to everyone. It's, it's usually something thematically, thematically related to airlines. Then you get the opportunity to buy cards. Then you make your flights and you make money. Sometimes you can opt for a sabotage later. So that's a bit of a take that element. But I do realize that lots of people kind of prefer not to have take that in Euro games. So there is an option yeah. to kind of play without it. And then, yeah, that's that's like a, a single round and you basically do that 10 times. Uh, and and uh, yeah, whoever has the highest income at the end is the winner. Um, the other aspect is you could also play the game cooperatively and some people have said that it's it's a, a totally different game. What's what's the common denominator? It's the the mechanism to make it to make flights. So yeah. that's still the same. But the the aim of the game in the cooperative mode is now to uh, make sure that all the passengers uh, get home safely by the end of the game. And so you either win if you manage to take everyone home, or you lose if you don't. And 
either you can play solo or you can work with uh, another player to basically try and figure out the most efficient way to take everyone to where they want to go. And when you sabotage, I mean, are you like messing with their planes <laughs> or are you just trying it's, to like steal their fuel or what's the i, I tried to, yeah i tried to keep it quite light so there's yeah. nothing grim like <laughs> no plane crashes or anything it's yeah it's, it's just also some some thematic stuff like uh for example like i don't know a corporate lawsuit or gotcha. maybe you you offered like a free upgrade to your opponent's passengers so they want to go come with you rather than with them or obviously we've got like snakes on the plane as well which is Oh, that's uh, awesome. It's a great movie. <laughs> yeah, the, the Kickstarter page is very well done. I've been scrolling uh, while you've been chatting here, and uh, it is very well laid out. The graphics, uh, kudos to the team. We'll get into the team members in a second, um, but you've got a pretty robust team, which is really cool. I like the idea that you've got, you know, this co-op mode. And did, sorry, did you say there is a solo mode to this game as well? Yeah, the, the co-op mode, you can play it uh, in the one-player mode. Solo, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. And then there's components I noticed when I was scrolling that there's like fuel. So you have to like fuel up your, your planes yep. um, and the cost of fuel, depending on kind of where you're connecting, I guess, can have different yep. costs, depending whether I guess I was reading somewhere that if it goes diagonal versus uh, latitudinal versus uh, longitudinal, all have different kind of uh, fuel costs, I guess. Right. Yeah, that's right. And then in terms of the, the upgrades, so um, what kind of upgrades are you planning for this? Like you, you've, you've hit your, your higher targets. Um, is there like, and I noticed that the cards, for instance, have been unlocked to like a, a 320. Yeah. Um, what else, what else are you guys planning for your upgrades? I think so the, we had a few comments and generally uh, the people seem to prefer um upgrades that kind of add to the gameplay and replayability mm -hmm. so what we kind of decided to do is for all the future stretch goals we will hopefully have like a poll so we we give people a couple of choices and, and they can decide uh, what to go with uh, so so far we've done like a choice between like more of a gameplay update and more of like a component update uh, and so far the feedback has been that you know people just kind of want extra cards extra scenarios things like that so but we, yeah, we will keep keep kind of offering this this choice. Um, uh, ultimately, um, as a sneak preview, I could say that um, we might be able to add like a small expansion, which would add like um, hidden roles in the game. So the game already has asymmetrical player abilities, so mm -hmm. that kind of uh, lets you play as a, a certain kind of character, like maybe you're a, a, a trader or maybe you're an aircraft engineer or or a market analyst or an investment manager so these kind of roles but these are open information and we're kind of hoping that if we can unlock a couple more stretch goals then the final stretch goal will be like this kind of expansion where everyone also has a hidden role and that hidden role kind of drives your agenda maybe there's like a little mission that you have to carry out maybe connect a certain set of cities or airports or, or maybe you just have to kind of, I don't know, sabotage someone in a certain <laughs> way. Or, yeah, if you're like a hidden agenda is the mafia or whatever. So we have the, uh, this kind of planned as well. Is it be, would it be like an early victory uh, mission or would it be more like a ticket of ride where you have like ways to level up your points by achieving certain connections and things like that? More, more of the latter. I, I think I still want yeah. to preserve the kind of, don't really want to, 
to make it too easy to win kind of randomly. Uh, so I still, my, my design vision has always been that, you know, the, the best player at the table, the most experienced, the, the one who spends the most time thinking should kind of win most of the time. Not like mm. every time. It's not like chess where it's kind of, if you're definitely better then you're definitely going to win. Uh, so there's still, we, we do have some strong catch-up mechanics that kind of keep the game close. But my vision has always been to kind of just make sure that, you know, the, the best player at the table has the best ch- chance of winning the game. That's cool. Now you've got a, quite the international team. You've got people from the United Kingdom, Australia, Brazil, USA, Netherlands. At least these are what's on their passports on your yeah. page. Israel, USA. How did you bring this whole team together? Like what was the, 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 the process for that? Yeah, so there wasn't really a formal formal process. Um, some of them were just recommendations from the people in the industry. Some of them were just posts on Facebook groups where I just said what I needed and people kind of commented with what they have to offer. Um, and um, yeah, I, I just kind of looked at the, the portfolios of people and uh, and just decided to, to, to go with it, especially if like people, a lot of the people that I worked with have a proven track record in the board game industry so mm. that definitely makes my decision easier because i know that i can i can trust them and are, are you guys uh you know at your current level which is way way higher than your, your your initial kind of target would you say you're further ahead than you expected about where you expected or below where you expected i think we are we are further ahead at the moment we didn't quite expect uh to have such a big, uh, uh, um, yes, yeah, so, so many fans at this stage in the campaign. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I say, I would say definitely working with, uh, with uh, Backer Kit Marketing helped with that. Okay. So they were doing some ads for us and, and they, they, they brought in uh, a good few thousand uh, dollars in, in, in backers. Yeah, backer kit's great. I use them on my uh, recent campaign. Are you going to use their pledge manager as well, or what's your thoughts for that? Yeah, we we're going to go with the pledge manager as well. Yeah, it's amazing. So for for people who are listening and don't know, uh, we've I know we've talked about social media amplification uh, ad nauseum on this uh, podcast, but uh, you know if you can find someone to help manage those ads uh, consistently, what I'm seeing in most campaigns that uh, are funding successfully typically have some type of a uh, social media amplification company work with them, like a backer kit. Um, I'm currently going through a pledge manager right now. I'm using CrowdOx, which is also owned by BackerKit as well. I know they're transitioning from CrowdOx over to BackerKit soon. Um, but from my experience, even in that, uh, if you want to increase your, uh, your pledge amount after your campaign's done, you know, you're looking at another 10, 15, 20% uh, funding that you can generate through that, um, through that pledge management uh, software, which is really cool. And they're pretty slick, uh, you know, backend systems that really make it, uh, make it easy for the user. Uh, I've done a campaign where I did my own pledge management and I can tell you that the survey that you get as default with uh, Kickstarter is not great. (laughs) It is probably like a Google sheets kind of, uh, level of complexity when you, uh, when you send it out, I mean, it's functional, but it's not, it's not, it's not great. Right. So if you have any complexity to your game at all, you probably want to use some type of a uh, pledge management software. Um, what would you say would be some of the key influencers for you when you're putting together this campaign? Like what, what was maybe a person or a game that you look to the most to say, okay, I really got to kind of focus in on this person, this individual or this particular game to uh, help inform what I want to do uh, with connecting flights. Um, 
again, I, I don't, I can't remember a single game that really influenced this. I think it's just a matter of picking and choosing the best bits out of many yeah. campaigns. Yeah. And then your preview videos. I noticed you've got a lot of preview videos on there. Yeah. Um, they're not cheap, right? And I, I know the ones you've got, so I have a good idea of how much you've yeah. spent uh, going in uh, to this just on preview videos alone. That's a that's a big decision to make going into a Kickstarter campaign, right? To put funds uh, forward to say, okay, you know, uh, I, I need to hit a certain level to fund, but to even get there, I need to invest money up front, right? In, in marketing, in pre-marketing, like preview videos and so forth. What was that thought process uh, for, for you when you went through this? Um, you know, did you weigh the pros and cons and what ultimately led you to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to put some cash in and, uh, you know, get this done this way. Yeah. I actually prioritized those videos over, for example, the kind of conventional wisdom might be to grow a big mailing list. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't really, I didn't spend any money on kind of growing my mailing list. So I had like an organic mailing list of people who, somehow found my website and signed yeah. up to, to the mailing list there. Um, so my mailing list was really slow, uh, really small, but I just kind of decided if I'm going to spend money, I might as well just, you know, pre-campaign, I might as well just spend it on uh, on the, the, the previous videos because personally that's kind of what I look when I'm browsing through different campaigns. Yeah. And also what I saw from, like I said, so much browsing of different games on Kickstarter is that generally the games with decent uh, um, with, a, with a number of, uh, of reviews or previews with especially done by channels who are well established and known in the community mm -hmm. these kind of campaigns tend to do better at least in my experience yeah. and so so as for investing like you say I, I just knew that if I don't invest the money up front in these preview videos then the game would probably not go anywhere so it was kind of like all or nothing because if I definitely want to make this game happen, then I really need those videos. It's a risk, right? Because that's a sunk yeah. cost. You, there's yeah. no guarantee you're getting that revenue back, right? So no, but right. I would say though some of these uh, previewers, and I, I mean you've picked some very prominent ones. You know they come with twenty five thousand, you know subscribers to their channels. When they when they put a, a new video, that video anybody signed up to be notified is going to be notified. They just launched another video. So you are getting eyeballs on your game, um, yeah. you know, from someone that, uh, that knows what they're talking about. I know from my personal experience, um, you know, these previewers were able to talk and dissect and explain my game better than I could. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like they are pros at what they do. So uh, if you can, uh, if you can pull it off and put the funds towards I, I wholeheartedly um, uh, echo your sentiments on this. This is one area going into my last campaign that I absolutely knew I had to do as, as you know, previewers was something I had to make sure I had nailed down for my campaign. You had a nice uh, video as well in, in your campaign and a lot of nice animation uh, that you've got uh, on your page, which is really great. Um, did How did you find your animator for that? Was that outsourced or something you did yourself or... No, um, so I work with uh, Ori Kagan, and so he did uh, loads of videos for for different uh, Kickstarters, and I just I just saw those videos, and as soon as I saw three or four of them, I just knew that he was the, the a good person to work with on this. Now, for people out there who may be working on their own campaigns, 
what should they expect for timelines, right? So if, if, if they're, if they need a video done, how much time, and obviously the, yeah, I mean, you can't give somebody enough time, but I mean, how much time would you say somebody should, you know, really book off to say, here's how much you're going to need to get a, a proper video. Yeah. Done? I think it's, it's best to budget about two months, two months for two a months. Kickstarter video. Yeah. Similarly for reviews, I would say also probably, probably two months, depending on like, if maybe if you're based in the U S and you're only sending the game to, reviewers in the US then probably less but like we had a game we were sending a game to another country and it took a full month to arrive there so yeah. obviously you have to factor in those delays how many preview or copies did you have made like when you had your prototypes done um six and where did you have them done did you have your manufacturer the person is going to end up manufacturing game do them or did you have them done at like a prototyping type place it was just a, a, a local local printer who specifies in in prototypes for board games so i know that they're based in the uk so they did quite a few uh, kickstarter prototypes for companies in the uk but they're probably not really well known outside of the uk gotcha now now that this campaign is successful and i know you're gonna have a busy couple weeks uh doing the kind of the final uh the final stretch what comes next or do you have other games that you've started working on? Is it uh, to do an expansion of this or, or is it kind of a one and done for you? Like what's your, what's your overall plan? It's hard to say. I, I don't have any more games. I have ideas, but mm. uh, as, as the saying goes, ideas are not really worth much unless you, <laughs> you can, you can pull them off. So yeah. I am, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping, uh, I don't really have much time to do, game design but i'm keeping a lot of good i'm keeping a good notebook of of ideas of how to kind of uh take my come up with my next game whether that's going to happen or not i hope i hope it will uh but it's it's for sure going to take time because um i'm just not really one of those people who come up with like you know 10 different ideas and and take and have like a few games running at the same time I just need to be able to fully focus on a single project. Uh, yeah. And so, and so sometimes when you get blocked, uh, you kind of, you get, you get stuck for a month or two and there is no progress and, and it, it just takes time to un- unblock and maybe find a solution to your problem. So that's kind of how I work. And sometimes that means that it just takes a long time to, to solve a problem and come up with a good design. I just got to say, it's been so cool to hear your story and how, your background, your education, everything is kind of linked together to eventually have this game now hit the, the marketplace. And I'm sure it's an immense amount of pride for you to have your name on a game that's going to be on uh, shelves, uh, hopefully around the world. I think it's a pretty, uh, pretty cool thing. Yeah, it's, it's great. And yeah, like I said, I think um, at least, you know, every Christmas where family gatherings, I'll just have, have them to play my game and that would be like my, <laughs> that would be my moment to shine. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the one thing I always find is uh, what's the old saying is you're never uh, you're never a hero in your own castle or whatever the saying is, where <laughs> you know get family to play your game. But uh, you know what, this has been awesome. I can't wait to get my copy uh, for people that are watching or listening to the uh, the podcast. Uh, in the show notes, I'll put a link to the Kickstarter page. Go check it out. If it's a game that you find interesting, uh, maybe you'll be a backer as well. Rafa, I wish you all the best this coming year, and uh, good luck with this game. You take care. Thank you very much. Cheers. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply join the Facebook group Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. 
I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.